Welcome to episode 35 of the Hockey News on the Dub, brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Carol Schramm, here as always with Adam Kersenblatt, and we are back with our second episode of season two. So deuces are wild, as John Shardhouse likes to say on the Vancouver Connects broadcasts. Um, this is also part two of our season preview, focusing on the WHL's Eastern Conference. If you missed our Western Conference preview and want to check it out, you can find it by going back to thehockeynews.com slash podcast and then scroll down the page to find THN on the dub. Uh, we've got lots to cover today, so let's get into it. One thing that makes it a little bit easier is that uh, with the WHL's move of the Winnipeg Ice to Wenatchee, Washington, uh, we only have 11 teams to cover in the Eastern Conference today instead of the 12 that we would have had last year. So uh, we've got some nice symmetry happening in, uh, in these episodes. And just like last week, we will focus today on the biggest question facing each team in the Eastern Conference, and then highlight a player to watch. So uh, let's get started in the East Division, where Winnipeg finished as the top team in the division and in the entire Western League last year. Uh, we covered all the changes for Wenatchee in their new home in the U.S. Division in last week's episode, so now we'll dig into the five teams that are remaining in the East. So to kick things off, we've got the Saskatoon Blades, who finished second in the division in last year's regular season. Then they knocked out Regina and Red Deer before being swept by the ice in the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, Colin Priestner continues on as general manager in Saskatoon and he's team president as well uh, with 2023 WHL Coach of the Year Brennan Sauna returning for his third season behind the bench. Uh, let's bring you in, Adam. What's the biggest question facing the Blades this year? So I think the biggest uh, question leading into the season for the Saskatoon Blades is do they have what it takes to finally capture the division championship now that the ice have moved over to the Western Conference? So they've had strong teams the last two seasons, but they've basically been blocked by this powerhouse Winnipeg ice team. So they're always kind of that second uh, best or third best team in that division. Um, now that the ice are gone, does that pave the way for them? Um, they are expected to have all three of their top uh, scorers from last year. So that's Trevor Wong, Igor Sidorov, and uh, Brennan Lazowski back. And then you add in Tanner Molendyke, the first rounder from uh, the Nashville Predators this past draft. So the expectations are going to be high. And then in goal, Austin Elliott, he is a solid goaltender. He had a really, really good rookie campaign from a year ago. So if you're kind of looking at a favorite, maybe heading into the season, Saskatoon, is definitely up there on the list. Yeah, we have to go all the way back to 2013 for the last time Saskatoon won a division title. And that year they hosted the Memorial Cup that was won by Nathan McKinnon and the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, that was a real team effort to get that division championship for uh, for Saskatoon. The most successful player to come off of the, that Blades roster uh, was Michael Furland as far as NHL games go. Now for uh, this year's player to watch from the Blades, you've picked undrafted 18-year-old left wing Jordan Keller. Yes, yeah, so uh, Jordan Keller, he's listed as a left winger on the uh, WHL site, uh, had 30 points in 66 games for Saskatoon last season. So pretty good uh, uh, pretty good season considering who he was competing with for ice time. Um, so with the departure of Connor Roulette and uh, most likely Jake Chason, who will probably be in the AHL this year, expect Keller to get more opportunities, especially on the power play. Um, even though he is listed as a winger, he took, uh, um, 525 faceoffs last year and he won more than half of them. So if he is a winger, that's kind of a skill that you can also look at. He's one of these versatile players. 
uh, that can play in the wing or on the uh, down the middle. So it, he is definitely going to be somebody to watch and a uh, player to keep an eye on when it comes to uh, who's going to be near the top of the leaderboard when it comes to Saskatoon's uh, points at the end of the season. Awesome. All right, let's move on to the uh, Moose Jaw Warriors who finished third in the East last season. They dropped one spot after uh, switching places with Saskatoon in the standings. Mark O'Leary is back for his fourth full season as head coach and Jason Ripplinger is in his third year as general manager. In the playoffs, the Warriors swept Lethbridge last year in the first round of the playoffs and then fell to Winnipeg in six games. Uh, so I see your biggest question about the Warriors is what uh, Jagger Furcus and Braden Yeager will get up to this year. Yes. So, um, you know, two high profile uh, players, one drafted in the first round last year, one almost drafted in the first round two drafts ago. So these are some very highly skilled players that are going to be looked to as the offensive uh, drivers on this uh, Moose Jaw Warriors team. So it, when we looked at their season, they're going to be the uh, they should be the team's offensive leaders if they're both back, which is expected. Um we could see both of them hit over 90 points and uh, that will also be determined on if both or one of them heads off to the world juniors this year. That's something to also keep an eye out for Moose Jaw. Um, even though the Warriors are a deep team, these two players are going to have a massive effect on how they do in the end of the season. If they can, you know, be better than Saskatoon and win that division title so really where these, how these two players, how their production goes, that's kind of how you can follow how well the team is doing. Yeah. And as you mentioned, even though Fergus was drafted in 2022, he is still 19. So uh, he'll almost certainly be back and in contention for a world junior spot. Uh, while Jaeger is the, uh, the younger of the two and he went 14th overall to Pittsburgh this past June. Um, and going even younger than that, your player to watch from the Warriors this, uh, this week is 16 year old right-hand defenseman Connor Schmidt. Yeah, so if you kind of look at how Moose Jaw is setting up their team for this year, they're going to have a really young defense core and not a lot of depth on the right-hand side for right-handed shot defensemen, which is where Connor Schmidt comes in. Uh, had 35 points in 30 games with the uh, Okanagan Hockey Academy's U18 prep team last season and also got the opportunity to play in six games uh, with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Um, this is a player that I could see having... Uh, significant opportunities this season whether that be on the top four of this Warriors team or even on the power play but he's an exciting prospect and one that even though he's just 16 could have a massive impact on this team okay uh up next we've got the Regina Pats they are going to look a whole lot different from last year when they finished fourth in the east and bowed out to Saskatoon in game seven of round one much to uh the disappointment of everybody who wanted to watch more Connor Bedard in the postseason and by everybody I mean me um and probably a lot of people other people as well so uh even though he turned 18 only two months ago all signs do point to Bedard being ready to have a high impact rookie season with the Chicago Black this year and that's certainly the way he's being marketed right now um, but he's not the only key player who isn't returning to Regina 
Um, also, the Pats have gone through a significant front office overhaul after John Paddock's retirement in July. Uh, he's being succeeded behind the bench by Brad Haroff, who has been an assistant in Regina for the last seven years. And their new VP and uh, VP of Hockey Operations and General Manager is Alan Miller, who has worked with Hockey Canada in a player personnel role for the last few years. And before that, he served as GM in Moose Jaw and also with the OHL's Sarnia Sting and Guelph Storm. So he's a brand new face in Regina. Um, with all that change, that kind of leads into your biggest question about the Pats. Yeah, I think my biggest question and a lot of Regina Pats fans' biggest question is, what is this team actually going to look like in the end? Um, they're losing not just Connor Bedard, but Alexander Su- uh, Sudalev and Stanislav uh, Svozil. So it's not just Bedard. Like That is in over 200 points essentially lost this season. Uh, going into the year. So they do have some exciting young talent, like 16-year-old center Cole Temple. But, um, you know, will they have enough to make that push to the playoffs? Remember, they did make the playoffs, but they weren't dominant in the regular season, even with all three of those players. So you take all three of those out, and you don't really make any massive additions to your lineup. They have some goaltending injury issues now. So I'm, I think a lot of people are just interested to see how this Regina Pats team basically enters the post-Connor Bedard era uh, starting this season. For sure. And uh, the player to watch that you've chosen from Regina is a holdover and somebody who got a decent amount of attention last season by uh, being in the, you know, the edge of the spotlight that was shining on Bedard all year long. So uh, he is now into his draft eligible year and that's uh, left wing Tanner Howe. Yes, so Tanner Howe is a projected first rounder in this year's draft. And the biggest question is, what type of production are we going to see from him when he's not playing with Bedard? You know, this is uh, this is something that we see quite often where you have a star player depart and then all questions kind of move on to what are his line mates going to look like this year. He came off an impressive season, uh, representing Canada at the U18s and the uh, Helenka Gretzky Cup. Um, and I mean, th- this is his opportunity, right? If he showed that he can put up points next to Bedard, so he showed that he can play with elite players. Now, what can he do when he, he is kind of the star of the team? Can he step up and lead that team or uh, what, what's going to happen? So his whole season is going to be definitely something to monitor for those who are looking ahead to the 2024 draft. Uh, and he's an, he's an exciting player. Like we know he can, we know what he can do. Now, what can he do by himself? That's the biggest question. Yeah, there was some time last season when uh, when Paddock split up Howe and Bedard and they played on separate lines. And and he seemed to be able to hold his own, especially as a, a slightly younger player. So uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about what he's going to be able to pull off. So uh, I guess now the question is just whether or not he has enough talent around him to set himself up for a good season and really raise his stock in that draft con- conversation. And for him, I imagine the continuity of having uh, assistant coach Haroff now in in charge will be a positive for him as well. So that's uh, that's something else that kind of works in house favor. 
Uh, next up, we will move on to the Brandon Wheat Kings, who finished out of the playoffs last year, fifth place in the East. Um, they dropped by 14 points in the standings from one year earlier, which I think was a little bit unexpected. Uh, Marty Murray is back in his second year as the head coach of the Wheat Kings, who did have something to celebrate this summer uh, when their spiritual leader, Kelly McCrimmon, brought the Stanley Cup back to Brandon for uh, for a party after uh, he won that with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so your biggest question about the Wheat Kings is all all about their starting goaltending and Carson Bjarnason. Yeah, so on paper, the Flyers' second-round pick from this past draft is the best goalie in this division. And he's at the point where now that he's drafted, I know that he's still young, but he's drafted. He's a second-round pick in the NHL. He's really got to step up his game now. Last season, he had a goals against average over three. That can't happen again. He needs to start getting that number below uh, three he needs to start bringing up a save percentage a little bit higher. Uh, Brandon is a strong team, but as we know, goaltending can sink in a team or it can make a championship. So if uh, Bjarnason can kind of live up to that expectation, uh, then that would go a long way in ensuring that Brandon doesn't miss the postseason for a second straight year. Uh, and then your player to watch is uh, is one of the younger talents on uh, on the Wheat Kings, uh, Roger McQueen, who turns 17 in early October. Yes, so Roger McQueen is a uh, prospect I'm very excited about, but we have to wait until the 2025 NHL draft uh, for him to hear his name called to the NHL. So this is a player that represented Canada the Linka Gretzky Cup uh, this past summer as a 17-year-old, recording seven points in five games. He kind of had one of those slow first years in the WHL with only 14 points in 55 games, but he was one of the top players at uh, this last year's uh, U17 tournament, and he kind of played Brandon style. Brandon doesn't have this high-flying offense outside of really Nate Danielson. Um, so his point total, even though it is low, it's not super surprising, but I, I think based off the talent that he has, you want to see him at least hit the 20 point mark in that 55 games in his first year uh, listed at 6'4, 185 pounds. Uh, he is going, well, he should be near the top of the week King scoring at the end of the season. And uh, yeah, if, like I said, if you're looking for players to watch for the 2025 NHL draft, McQueen is definitely a name to uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, and at 6'4", 185, at 16 years old, uh, that's that's an NHL-type frame that scouts are definitely going to be noticing because uh, they always like to go back to, you can't teach size, especially after the uh, big uh, Vegas Golden Knights built by Kelly McCrimmon just won the Stanley Cup. I see some connections all around there. Uh, that being said, we have seen some bigger forwards need a little more time to kind of grow into their bodies. So uh, this next two years uh, will probably serve McQueen really well. And uh, I do seem to recall a uh, six foot three inch uh, forward named Austin Matthews not having too much trouble when he landed in his 18 and 19 year old self uh, with, with that four goal NHL debut in that first game back in 2016, kind of setting the bar for every, uh, every big center to come after him. So uh Good luck to McQueen on that uh, that comparison I have just laid out to you. No pressure, bud. <laughs> 
Uh, onwards, we will finish off the East here with the Prince Albert Raiders, who pulled up the rear in the East Division last season with uh, a second straight 59-point campaign. Uh, Curtis Hunt returns as their GM, and Jeff Truitt is back for his second year as head coach after helping Canada earn their bronze medal at the U18 tournament in Switzerland this past spring. So for uh, Prince Albert, your big question is about uh, offense from the defense. Yeah, so as we know, offense from defense is really important, especially in the WHL where point or where scoring is a little bit higher. You know, you see these six five games, so you're going to need your defense essentially to contribute some sort of offense. So last season, uh, Landon uh, Kozier led all defensemen on the Raiders with uh, 63 points, but he's aged out. So who's going to step up really? Um, next highest on the team was Eric Johnson who had 17 from uh, from the blue line last season. So to go from your top defender having 63 points to 17, that's a, that's a pretty big uh, swing. So they really need to have somebody who can step up and contribute, you know, in that 25 to 30 point range and also have other players step up in. So you don't necessarily need, you know, one player to have 70 points everybody else have 10. If you have a couple players that are flirting with that 20 point mark, maybe one with that 30 point mark, it really will help the team. And in the case of Prince Albert, uh, that should go a long way because they do have the, a talented forward group, but, but you need some sort of kind of substance and some sort of extra to push them over the edge if they want to make the playoffs this season. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that talented forward group, that leads into uh, your player to watch, which I think is uh, very well deserved, given that he was last year's uh, WHL Rookie of the Year, and that's uh, left-wing rider Richie. Yeah, so uh, Richie is also a projected first-rounder in uh, the 2024 draft, and he should be the team leader in points uh, get, or this season. So he's uh, the son of former NHLer and Lethbridge Hurricane Byron Richie. Um, who had a uh, pretty decent NHL career and pretty decent WHL career. And uh, I also think that even though he is draft eligible, he's a younger player, he's going to be part of that leadership group in uh, Prince Albert. So a little bit more pressure. Uh, we'll see if he can kind of put everything together. He had 20 goals last season, so a good projection would be in that 25 to 30 uh, point range or goal range this season. But yeah, this is definitely an exciting uh, player to uh, watch heading into the season. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been working on a story for the goalie issue of our Hockey News magazine about uh, Chase Coward, the goalie who was traded to Prince Albert in the offseason after he came back from double hip surgery. Um, so I was watching the uh, WHL free view on the weekend and uh, saw his first game with Prince Albert as they uh, as they beat Saskatoon. And uh, while I was mostly focused on Coward, I couldn't help noticing that Richie was a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, he is not a huge guy, but very dynamic and uh, really lethal on the power play. So uh, lots of lots of skill showing off there against a pretty decent defensive team in Saskatoon as well. So uh, even though it's only preseason and we shouldn't read too much into it, uh, it was uh, it was a nice little teaser for me of what uh, what we might have in store. And uh, Coward also told me that Richie is a, a great guy in the room and that uh, he's been made to feel really welcome by the whole Prince Albert crew. So he's pretty excited about what the year holds in store for him. Um, also, um, Richie has 
been playing well in some of the other um, moments, opportunities that he's had to shine. He had nine points on Canada's gold medal team at the Holinka Gretzky Cup in August, which was uh, just one behind team and tournament leader Berkeley Catton. So uh, he definitely has my attention. And uh, with that, that's your uh, five-team East Division, as we will see it in 2023-24 in the WHL. So uh, if you got to pick one, which one of those teams do you think is going to struggle to get into the playoffs? I mean, when we look at it, I think the obvious answer is Regina, just because we don't know what the Pats are going to look like at all. Like, this is a monumental change in that organization. Like, not only do you lose, essentially, your three best players, you also lose your head coach and GM all in one off season. And you don't really replace a lot of, well, you can't replace Connor Bedard. I, Bedard, I feel like maybe the closest player in the, in the WHL to him would be, you know, uh, Gavin McKenna in medicine hat. Like when we're looking at, you know, 16 year olds, but yeah, like what is Regina going to do? So I'm, I, I don't want to, I know Regina fans have been through a lot in the last couple of years, especially missing the playoffs with Bedard on that roster. But uh, unfortunately, their roster doesn't look super strong. So that would be my pick for the uh, missed playoffs. All right. Uh, well, you know, I will I will root for everybody and, and inevitably not everybody can make it. So uh, we'll see how things shake down. And uh, I will uh, I will cross my fingers for your pick to come true, because at least that's uh, the least I can do for you, partner. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Central Division, where uh, last year the Red Deer Rebels landed in first place, even though they finished two points below their total from one year earlier when they had been second to the uh, powerhouse Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, last year, Red Deer easily took care of Calgary in the first round of the playoffs and then fell in sa seven games to Saskatoon. Um, of course, Brent Sutter is still in the big chair as president, GM, and owner, uh, but coach Steve Konowalczuk has moved up to an associate coaching job with the Colorado Eagles in the AHL, so the Rebels' new coach this fall is Derek Walzer. Uh, as a player, he had a cup of coffee in the NHL before finishing up in Ireland as a player coach, and he's been an assistant in the OHL with the Peterborough Peets for the last six years. Uh, so what's your big question about the Rebels this year? So the biggest question surrounding the Red Deer Rebels is can they stay out of the box this year? Uh, finished last season with 987 penalty minutes, which was the second most in the league. While they did a good job on the penalty kill um, at an 81% uh, success rate, and they also had 16 short-handed goals. I mean, it's a lot to ask for a team to basically be at the top of the top of the standings when it comes to penalty minutes and also not and also have like a strong penalty kill. Right, it happened in the postseason as well. Happened in the regular season. So, even though it may have worked one year, there's no guarantee that that's going to translate to the second season or to this year. So, if we're kind of looking at what the Rebels need to do to be at the top of the division again, they got to stay out of the box. It's easier to play five on five than down a player. I think that's pretty uh, general knowledge. Um, and like I said, their penalty kill looks good this year. But killing penalties over and over and over again does tax your defense. It taxes your goaltender. So they got to find a way to stay out of the box. 
Um, as you said, that uh, the 16 shorthanded goals is pretty impressive, though. That was second best in the league last season. But uh, the uh, where you can really see how much they were hurt by their penalties um, was in the playoffs, where they had the second highest number of penalty minutes behind only Seattle. Um, they were only nine nine penalty nor nine times shorthanded lower than Seattle, despite the fact that they played in two fewer playoff rounds. So um, not exactly an apples to apples comparison in terms of the number of games and minutes they played. Uh, they spent a lot of time uh, trying to dig themselves out of a hole and they probably they may have paid for it a little bit in those playoff results. But, you know, new coach, new day. Um, maybe Derek Walzer has some uh, some five on five discipline strategies that he can uh, instill in this group to uh, help them stay out of the box a little bit better and uh, stay on the, on the good sides of the ref. Um, so now your, uh, your player to watch on the rebels is a gigantic undrafted 18 year old defenseman named Matteo Fabrizi. So yes, Matteo Fabrizi listed at six, five, 242 pounds. Uh, looks like a defensive uh, lineman in football out there sometimes. Uh, one of these physical defenders from the blue line. He might not put up a ton of points, but he is uh, that kind of like ideal shutdown defenseman uh, that teams love to have in the lineup because he's so physical and because he can kill penalties. And uh, this is a player, he went undrafted. So you got to think that there's some motivation on his side to show that he is worthy of being drafted here in 2024. And that maybe he can, maybe he'll show a little bit more offense. Uh, in that um in that way of showing the scouts that they made a mistake passing on him yeah, your defensive lineman analogy is good. I uh, because I only operate in uh, on the hockey plane. Um, I was just sort of thinking Milan Lucic when I saw those numbers, or maybe somebody like Dustin Bufflin. Although he's even taller than both of those guys, so uh, Fabrizi is a is a specimen to be to be sure. He will be noticed when he's on the blue line in uh, in Red Deer this year. Uh, next up, we have the Lethbridge Hurricanes, who finished second in the Central last year. Uh, that, that still landed them in fifth place in the conference though. So they didn't get home ice advantage in the playoffs and were swept by Moose Jaw in round one. Um, now with Lethbridge after eight plus years as, uh, the general manager of the hurricanes, Peter Anholt made a big, uh, splash a couple of weeks ago when he brought in Bill Peters as his team's new head coach just a few weeks after Brent Kissio had re resigned to take the assistant's job with the AHL's Henderson Silver Knights. So that leads into your biggest question, which is uh, what the Peters factor is going to bring this year. Yeah, so um, with Bill Peters, there's going to be distractions around this team, especially at the start. Uh, they make trips to Calgary and Edmonton, which are NHL cities. So, you know, there will be some media presence there. And those are both within the first 15 games of the season. Um, so kind of what is Bill Peters going to look like is the question. He hasn't coached in junior since the 07-08 season where when he was with Spokane, when they won their Memorial Cup. So we don't really have an idea of what he looks like, you know, this decade. Uh, at the junior level. Yes, he has coached at the AHL. Yes, he has coached in the NHL. But as we all know, coaching junior is a lot different because there are a lot of different rules. There's a lot of different uh, factors that go into coaching junior than compared to coaching pro. So if the hope is that the players won't get too distracted and kind of pulled into this because let's be, let's be honest here. Like media is going to ask the players about Bill Peters. They're going to ask the GM about Bill Peters. They're going to ask Bill Peters about Bill Peters. And that can really 
caused some issues with the within the team chemistry and within the team locker room. You know, the added stress. Um, and that 15 games is going to be so important for them because if they really struggle out of the gate, that could be uh, a sign that maybe they're on their way to missing the playoffs. And, you know, you bring in Bill Peters. I know I said his name a lot of times, but you bring him in to win. You don't bring him in to miss the playoffs. So if they miss that postseason, that is just going to be not a fun place uh, to be in Lethbridge because there's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of media focus. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but we'll, you know, we have to, I guess, save judgment for how the players are going to play in the end. Yeah. So we'll- um, I was just going to say, I feel like the, the point that you make about Calgary and Edmonton is important too, because uh, Lethbridge isn't really that far from Calgary, which is where, we last saw Peters over on this side of the uh, of the ocean when uh, he was with the Flames when he uh, resigned in 2019 amidst those allegations of uh, racial slurs and player mistreatment. Um, after that, he spent a year and a bit coaching in the KHL, and then last year he worked in the AJHL with the Grand Prairie Storm as their director of player personnel. Um, so. Uh, yeah, it'll just be it'll be interesting to see how that all how that all plays out and what kind of uh, you know sort of dust storm swirls around the hurricanes. Wow, that's actually a pretty good metaphor. Um, <laughs> dust storm hurricanes, it kind of works. Um, anyways, uh, your player to watch from Lethbridge this year is uh, defenseman Noah Chadwick, who was drafted in the sixth round by the Leafs last June. Um, he's another guy who has NHL size and is currently listed at six four and two hundred pounds. Yeah, so uh, Noah Chadwick expected to be back uh, this season. He's definitely going to be one of the leaders on the Hurricanes. Uh, we'll see if they you know, give him the captaincy or not, but that will be, I guess, closer to the season. Um, he's a player that had 20 points a year ago, so expect him to kind of be more involved in this uh, team's offense. And uh, like we said, because he's a Leaf prospect, you know that he has some sort of media training, so he's probably going to be one of those players that, the media goes to and asks all the questions about. So not only will he have to be a leader kind of in the locker room, but he's also going to have to be a leader from a media perspective and from a community perspective, because when you, when you see a player that's been drafted by a Canadian team, that's, that's a draw in any market. So uh, we'll see how he is able to handle that secondary responsibility and kind of what his season looks like overall. Okay, great. Um, now, speaking of Calgary, the uh, the Calgary Hitmen are up next. They edged out Medicine Hat by one point to finish third in the Central last year and then uh, fell in the first round of the playoffs to Red Deer in five games. Uh, organizationally with the Hitmen, everything is status quo. Jeff Chinoweth is back as GM and Steve Hamilton will be coach again. So uh, what's your biggest question about Calgary? So we got to look at the uh, goaltending and is it going to be strong enough to uh, hold Calgary in that playoff position uh, going into the season? So Braden, uh, Braden Peters, who was the starter, is gone. And we have uh, Ethan uh, Beneventura, uh, who's going to take over as a, in the starter's net. Um, this is a player who had a 890 uh, save percentage in the goals against average of over uh, three in 30 games. So overall, that needs to improve. Uh, he needs to be closer to that 900 save percentage, maybe get that goals against below uh, three. And in, this is a team that could have some problems offensively as they lost uh, Ridley Fiddler-Schultz this year. 
uh, who led the team in points uh, during the 2022-2023 campaign, as well as Jacob Wright, who had 30 points in 42 games. So their goaltending is going to need to steal them some games uh, throughout the year for them, like I said, to make the postseason. Okay. Um, and then you've got another youngster identified as your uh, player to watch in uh, rookie defenseman Reese Hamilton. Yes. So uh, Hamilton was the fourth overall pick in the 2022 WHL draft. And he was part of that Saskatoon uh, Blazers U18 team that won bronze at the TELUS Cup uh, last season. So he's an offensively gifted defender who had 31 points in 39 games as a 15 year old at the U18 level. So that shows that not only can he produce, but he can produce against older competition, which he'll have to do in the uh, WHL. He didn't play in any games for the Hitman last uh, season, as far as I uh, can tell. But um, this should be a player that should make the jump to the WHL this season. And uh, definitely somebody to uh, keep an eye on uh, as he makes that transition from uh, the Saskatoon Blazers over to the WHL. Got it. Uh, next up, we've got the Medicine Hat Tigers. And uh, as I mentioned, they finished one point behind Calgary in last year's standings, was set, which set them up for the uh, first round death matchup against Winnipeg, where they got swept. Uh, so that was a pretty significant point, all things considered. Uh, uh, one of those things you look back on with a little bit of regret, probably at the end of the year. Uh, no surprise, though, to see that Willie Desjardins is back as coach and GM in Medicine Hat for yet another year. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Tigers have maybe the most intriguing hotshot prospect on their roster this year. Um, Gavin McKenna doesn't turn 16 until December, but did play a few WHL games last year. Uh, so your, his progress is uh, your biggest question about Medicine Hat this year. Yeah, so Gavin McKenna is, uh, I think we can call him the next phenom in the WHL, even though he's not draft eligible until 2026. Number one overall pick uh, from the 2022 WHL draft. He played 16 games with Medicine Hat and had 18 points as a 15-year-old. So that's pretty impressive. And then he went out and had um, 16 goals and 31 points, which are both records at the 2023 Canada Winter Games playing for your team, UConn. So this is a very special prospect. Uh, I'm excited to see him when he comes through Vancouver. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be the medicine he's going to determine how the medicine hat tigers uh, do this year. And you got to think Willie Desjardins, who's been in the league a long time. I don't know if uh, he's had a player of uh, Gavin McKenna's um, skill and high pedigree uh, yet. So we'll see how that combination uh, mixes as well. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's never too early to start tra tracking these high end prospects. I love this stuff um, at 15. Uh, we might have to set our expectations that McKenna might not light the league on fire immediately. Um, although, as you said, those uh, that, that point of game production as a 15-year-old last year certainly uh, bodes well for his true rookie season. Uh, I'll just try to keep my expectations conservative and then let myself be uh, amazed by what he can do as the season wears on. Um, now for your player to watch, you've sort of gone to the other end of the spectrum with a, uh, a another big center, Caden Lindstrom, who is draft eligible this year. Yes, um, listed at six foot four, two hundred fifteen pounds, uh, Lindstrom was part of Team Canada Halinka Gretzky Cup this uh, past season, and really stood out when I watched back the footage. You know, 
his play in the defensive zone and how he was able to use his big frame to protect the puck. Those were pretty impressive. Um, I think that this is a player who McKenna will have some, it, I think that Lidstrom and McKenna together could be very beneficial to both players as uh, it could lead both to have massive campaigns. And the one downside to playing next to Gavin McKenna, I think is something that we saw with, Bedard last year when is that you kind of when people are scouting Medicine Hat they're going to be paying attention to McKenna so Lidstrom may be one of those guys that falls under the radar even though he is six four over two hundred pounds like he's not difficult to see on the ice <laughs> especially in those Medicine Hat jerseys so uh, I would really suggest that when you're when people are watching Medicine Hat to really pay attention to Cade Lindstrom's game, because I think a lot of people are going to be impressed with just the little things that he's able to do and just how he's been able to really understand how to use his size to his advantage. And I guess I would argue too, that there's a flip side to that coin, which is that there will be more eyes on medicine hat because of McKenna. And then once the scouts are in the building or once they're watching on WHL TV, then they'll be, Wow, that Caden Lindstrom is amazing. So, uh, as you say, they're not gonna—they're gonna have a hard time missing him. So, uh, it might end up working in his favor. Sometimes uh, those sorts of dynamic duos can can be greater than the sum of the parts. So, we'll see how that all turns out. Uh, up next, we've got the Swift Current Broncos, uh, the uh, the first of last year's non-playoff teams from the Central Division. Uh, they finished fifth, three points behind Medicine Hat. And after scouting for the team for several years, uh, Chad Leslie is back for his second full season as the general manager, as is Devin Pratt in the head coach's position his second year as well. So what's your biggest question about the Broncos? Uh, it has to be what's going to happen with that goaltender uh, department with uh, Reed Dickin uh, being the starter now. So he was drafted by the Bruins in the sixth round in uh, 2022, but he hasn't really become that bonafide starter that I think a lot of people thought he was going to be a couple years ago. He hasn't recorded a season where his save percentage is above 890 yet. So that's a real red flag when you're looking at kind of goaltenders, especially I know they had Gage Alexander there and he might not have had as it might, it might've stunted his development a little bit, but like I said, this is a guy who's now entering his, uh, his draft plus two season. So, or Yeah. So he was draft like he needs to really become that starter if the Broncos want to make that playoffs. He did have some success near the end of the season, allowing two or fewer goals in uh, four of his final five games. So that's a positive if you are a um, Broncos fan, but he needs to do that on a more consistent basis. And they do have a uh, Joey uh, Rocha kind of as their backup, but he's had limited time in the WHL. So they really need strong goaltending overall if they want to uh, break that playoff streak. Yeah, so Reed, Reed Dick is the man. No pressure to Reed Dick. Uh, uh, you've got your team and, uh, and your hockey future with the Boston Bruins all riding on what you can do this year, bud. Uh, for your player to watch, you've picked uh, 20-year-old defenseman Ryan McCleary. Uh, he was a seventh-round pick by Pittsburgh in 2021. Yes, yeah, so Ryan McCleary, uh, he comes over from the Portland Winterhawks for what will be his final WHL uh, season. He's one of those reliable defenders that can kill penalties, and I think that they really brought him in to solidify that decor and make life easier for the goaltenders because 
these veteran goal uh, defenders, they know the WHL, especially when they've been playing for as long as uh, Ryan McCleary has, and they know kind of how to defend at the WHL level. So he's going to help them not just on the ice, but he's also going to help those young guys. And just a little fun uh, kind of return for him because he was born in Swift Current, and he gets to uh, finish off his WHL career in the same spot his uh, dad, Trent, uh, played for five seasons when he was with the Broncos from the 1988 to 93 seasons. Yeah, Trent McCleary was a, a right winger, and uh, he did make it to the NHL and played about 200 games, almost 200 games for three teams in the uh, in the late 90s. So, uh, yes, uh, yet another NHL Nepo baby, of which there are millions scattered through uh, through the hockey world. Uh, so, finally, uh, for our preview today, we will wrap up the Central Division with the Edmonton Oil Kings, who went from a WHL championship in 2022 to the Rock Bottom of the league in 2023 as has been known to happen in junior hockey. Uh, Kurt Hill continues on as the Oil Kings GM and Luke Pierce will be back for his second year as head coach. So after bottoming out, can the uh, Oil Kings start to climb back to respectability this year? Uh, your biggest question is about their new group of overagers. Yeah, so this was really interesting. I don't know if I've seen this before or if it happens very often, but Edmonton actually went out and picked up three new overagers. Now this also had to do with the fact that they traded a lot of their roster, a lot of their older players last season. So they picked up Ty Nash, Mark Lajoie and Aiden Litke, uh, who all have played at least 120 games in the uh, WHL. So that's going to add some stability to their lineup. Um, they're still in the rebuild phase from their solid teams and you know Edmonton is one of those teams that you have to look at and say that they had the worst timing ever because they their their window was basically the pandemic during the pandemic and then they got one year out of their three-year window so it, it kind of sucks for Edmonton and they're in this rebuild phase but they do have a lot of young talent that is expected to be part of this uh, roster so the hope is that these three players these three overagers cannot just contribute offensively but kind of build up those young players teach them about the whl so that they can have strong whl careers as they uh, move up and uh age into uh their prime years in the whl got it uh your final player to watch from the central with the oil kings is uh the draft eligible center adam yeho comes from czechia yes so uh yeho uh, came over and uh, after playing in Finland last season, he was part of uh, Czechia's Holinka Gretzky Cup team for the last three years. So that says something, uh, being so young and still being part of that Holinka Gretzky Cup multiple seasons. And the hope for him is he is uh, is that he hopes to get more exposure heading into the draft. Uh, so when you come over to North America, you know, showing that Europeans can play on the North American ice surface, that they can play with North American teammates. It generally does help them when it comes to the draft. So uh, we'll see how that works out in Edmonton. He's definitely going to be given the spotlight there uh, based off of their roster. So um, good luck to Adam Yeho, and uh, we'll see what type of uh, season he can uh, put forward as a rookie in the WHL. Yeah, he'll be fun to watch. He's he's young. He just turned 17 in March. So he's on the, the younger end of the spectrum as far as his draft class goes. But uh, um, he 
won't necessarily slide under the radar as a, as a youngster because he's uh, near he's six five and nearly two thousand two hundred pounds already. So not your average seventeen year old. Uh, he'll still be a young player in the Western League, but his uh, his toolkit and his uh, and his frame suggest that he's going to be able to uh, wreak some havoc and definitely get some attention on him from the scouts as he makes this adjustment and as you say starts. Uh, you know, getting a little bit of a leg up on some of the other European players by making that transition a year earlier. Uh, so uh, that's the scoop on Adam Yeho, and that wraps up our Central Division. Uh, so given that you just picked one team to miss the playoffs from the East Division, that means that you've got two that you got to select from the Central. What do you think? So I think uh, Edmonton. Uh, I think that they're still in that rebuild phase. Um, I, I It would be fun to watch them make the playoffs, uh, especially with uh, Yeho, um, but we'll we'll see kind of how they how that shakes out in Edmonton. And I I don't have the most confident in Lethbridge because I just think that there's going to be too many distractions. Plus, looking at their roster, I, I it's just one of those situations where it it it, it looks like it's going it's not going to work out. Like I'm I'm going to be I I don't want for the players' perspective. I don't want it to be a bad season for them, but there's just so much going on in Lethbridge right now. And like I said, if they don't get out to a strong 15, strong start in their first 15 games, like that is just going to become even more of a problem. So I, I feel bad for what's going, what the situation in Lethbridge uh, that's going on with the players because we kind of had this pre, pre uh, this notion that they're not going to do well because of all of the stuff that's going on but yeah it it could be a um it might not be a fun year in lethbridge this year all right we'll uh we'll see what happens see how things go uh with the uh with the hurricanes um so that wraps up our episode today thank you as always for listening and if you haven't done so already please make sure that you subscribe to thn on the dub brought to you by betmgm on your favorite podcast platform then you'll get us in your feed whenever we drop new episodes uh, for the most part, that will be pretty much weekly, but uh, next week is the exception. Adam is traveling, so we will be dark for the week of uh, September 19th. We will be back on the week of September 25th, and by then, opening weekend will have gone into the book so we will have lots of goals saves and points and three stars and our nhl team of the week and all that good stuff to go through as we uh, start to dig into the regular season if you do want to listen back to any of our episodes from season one or any of the others from the hockey news podcast family you can always catch up at the hockeynews.com slash podcast uh and uh yeah use that use that link to keep yourself occupied until we see you again in two weeks we hope you'll join us then take care and we'll talk to you soon